I'm David Baker. And I'm Amber Gustafson. And this is just a conversation. Hey, David, we were just talking about what trends are going on in the engagement industry. Uh huh. Have you noticed some new things? Yeah, cushion cuts are picking up, pear shapes are coming back, ovals are really, really coming on strong right now. Ovals are fantastic. My mother, that was her the diamond shape that she had. Ovals, I'll tell you what's, what's interesting with, with some of these ovals, too, and what the what's happening. I still see halos. You still see halos, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. The halos with the diamonds that go all the way around. But I'm seeing color coming in, in these shapes, pear shapes and ovals. We've sold many sapphires here recently. We've uh, had to get a specialty color sapphires. Aquamarine we had as mm -hmm. a main stone for an engagement ring. But what's even more interesting, what's been happening, is the wedding band. Yes. Quite a change there. The wedding bands, they look like crowns. So if you imagine uh, a main part of a, of a ring with a halo, and you have a half halo of stones around it, just doing an asymmetrical flow, and they look gorgeous. Not a total... Symmetry. It's a great look. It is a great look. Yeah. And we're throwing in some color in some of these as well. So trends are changing. Trends are changing. And I know with your knowledge and background, you're suggesting people stick with more traditional stones that have better hardness, the Alexandrites, the um, rubies, the sapphires. And those are the stones that have the durability as opposed to opal. As Absolutely. Example, things like that. Yeah, so if you're going to wear it every day, but I did have a customer the other day that wanted a morganite as an engagement ring, and she that's what she plans on wearing. Morganite is a very soft stone. It's actually a beryl, beryl being in the emerald family, but uh, it's still a very soft stone, very pale, peachy. I think that you just have to sell it with some, giving someone the understanding that they're probably going to have to have it either repolished or re completely replaced at some time. Because the amount of wear and tear on a, on an engagement ring, since it's on the finger all the time, has a tendency for some of the softer stones to uh, get a little braided facet junctions or, you know. True. So, but, the, but with that, we still have people that are wanting accent stones with emeralds. Yes. With, with uh, sapphires, and, I, and I've even had some rubies, which are hard stones. Rubies and sapphires are very hard. Uh, so we're, we're making some really interesting combinations of engagement rings. And these are engagement rings. People today are not always going always straight for the diamond. And we're seeing a lot of, um, in the reds, greens, and blues, more saturation in color as well. Right. Now, when they are getting diamonds, there's the natural earth-found diamonds. And also the lab diamonds that are gaining in popularity today. They we're call them lab, but where are they really made? In a factory. They're in factories. So we call them factory-made. Yeah. Factory-made diamonds. And that is something that we're doing a lot more. We, we have access to, definitely. And they're a little bit less expensive than the ones that are made of, found in the earth, naturally. But they're doing some crazy things. With they these, are. <laughs> with these uh, manufactured or factory-grown diamonds and uh uh, one thing we're planning on doing is we're going to visit some factories, hopefully very soon, try to find a great source of the manufactured diamonds. And the primary producers have been Russia. In the U.S., there are very few. 
uh, synthetic diamonds that are being grown or lab-grown diamonds as they're referred to. But also India and China are coming on quite strong. With the laboratory-grown terminology, when you see images of these factories, they are huge. They're just huge rooms that are just full of these autoclaves that are producing these diamonds. So it's it's far from a laboratory, but it, I suppose it sounds a little more sexy to say lab-grown <laughs> than factory-grown. Yeah, so you know, if you say, oh, I got my diamond in this factory, you think you're buying a car. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll tell you something I find very interesting about them is that they talk about how they're green. They, you know, they refer to mm -hmm. the diamonds as green yeah. and that they, they require less energy to, to produce them in the labs as versus uh, digging them out of the ground or scarring the earth to take them out of the ground. But in reality, it takes an exceptional amount of electricity and plus intense pressure in, along with the heat to produce these diamonds. So eh, we're not quite sure. I think the jury's kind of out as to you know, how whether green they really are. How green they really are. Well, here's the, here's the other thing that people have to keep in mind, that the diamonds that are found in the earth the people that find these diamonds, this is their only way of livelihood. This is all, this is how they feed their family. And uh, we're not, they have gotten so strict and so conscious of, of the health of the people and the miners that when you go to visit these places, you realize that this is what they do to feed their family. This is, they come to these places because there is availability to make money to feed their families. And um, someone recently is with one of the watchdog organizations or beneficiation organizations, uh, the, the non-governmental NGOs, non-governmental organizations. And, and we were talking, she's showing me pictures of miners and people in backcountry areas that are mining. And she said, what do you notice about this picture? And I said, well, you know, there weren't these old beat-up clothes. And and she said, well, let me ask you a question, David. If you were out working in the garden, would you be working in your best clothes, Sunday best? I said, uh, probably not. I said, let me tell you something about that lady that's in that picture. She has three grandchildren in the United States going to college on her dime. And she's out there mining. She's out there mining, yeah. and she's paying for three grandkids to go to college. And see, that's what the, the, the fallacy that people think is that they're just poor, poor people. You know what? They're, they're poor people that are making a living. Within the gemstone industry. Within the gemstone industry. And it's, it's a beautiful, it's been, they made movies out of this industry. I mean, the movies are still being made because of this industry. Absolutely. And uh, but it's a and you have a good friend, you know, you're a woman owned business and you have a good friend that has a woman owned business and she owns a mine. Absolutely. She yeah. uh, she owns a mine in, in Africa as well. And she employs her brothers and she's one of the first female, you know, owners of a mine in Africa. In fact, her mine actually, you can see Mount Kilimanjaro <laughs> in the background. But she started off as a. A person in the industry, sir, she was a tea girl. That's exactly how she explained it to me. She was a tea girl, and she started educating herself in the industry. She figured out where the line of stones were. She bought the piece of land, and she's mining it. Getting back, lab-grown diamonds, 
I will get them for you. I will source them for you. I will get the best price for you. I'm not going to guarantee they're going to stay the price that I sell them to you for because I imagine I know for a fact there's more factories opening up around the world in India and in China. A diamond found in the earth. Well, you can't beat that. Well, I'm David Baker. And I'm Amber Gustafson. And this is just a conversation.